Welcome to the Treeleaf Zendo podcast. Treeleaf is a Soto Zen Sangha available anytime, anywhere at treeleaf.org. Come sit with us. Welcome, everyone. I said uh, today that our uh, uh, talk uh, will be about the kind of counterintuitive uh, aspects of our practice uh, in Soto Zen. And uh, sometimes these are so much misunderstood that, for example, people think our sitting is just sitting around doing nothing, or that uh, we are uh, just, uh, how to say, uh, kind of uh, not practicing for realization and for enlightenment and all those big words that we're, we're kind of just uh, sitting here uh, taking it easy. And uh, that is often a big misunderstanding. It's, it's actually more that uh, when we do our practice, we don't go about things the ordinary human way, because those ordinary human ways are what get us in trouble. Uh, Chris is here. He's kind of my uh, physical training advisor. When I go to the gym, he's a physical trainer. And when I go there, got to be a little, you know, a little goal oriented. At my age, I'm not trying to, to get, uh, you know, perfect uh, six, the six, the six pack abs are long ago, you know, uh, or never to be honest, but uh, I have to be a little goal-oriented just to get through the routine. But this goal-oriented nature being a human being is also what gets us in trouble because we're too goal-oriented as human beings. We're the folks who want to go to the moon. We're the folks who get up every day, need to plant the crops and need to get the kids to school and need to get the work done. And when we're disappointed or life... uh, keeps us from our goals, uh, we tend to feel frustration, even anger and uh, doubt and all these uh, feelings of lack that uh, are what we call dukkha. So our practice tells us to just sit, not just sit around, but for once dropping all goals except to sit and experience a faith I use the word, it's the big F word, the faith deep in the bones that this sitting is the only thing to do while we're sitting. It's complete. It's complete. Why is it complete? Can I prove to you it's complete? No, it's complete because we say it's complete. You know, I just uh, was uh, kind of in a little debate with uh, this uh, fellow who teaches another kind of meditation on the Facebook somewhere. And he said, can you prove the value of what you're doing? And he was giving me all kinds of long explanations of what we should be doing, how to meditate to get the most effect. And I said, look, our practice is like the morning star. The Buddha sat under the tree. He had tried this. He had tried that. That guru, the other guru, this self-help book. I don't know if they had self-help books 
back in the day, but whatever the Buddha had, he tried to starve himself. Whatever he did, he finally said, after all that, he sat under a tree and he saw the morning star shining. And I think people miss that part of the story. They think it just happened. That's what he saw. But the morning star, I think, was the teacher. The morning star just shines. I don't think the morning star, unlike us, had a goal. I got to get up today and start shining. The morning star didn't say, I have to do good shining. And how's my shining compared to the other stars? The morning star doesn't have to explain itself to guys on Facebook. The morning star just shines, complete and whole in its shining. The morning star was the most perfect morning star. And its shining was exactly, completely, it's shining. This is how we sit. Okay, so anyway, all this counterintuitive stuff, but I want to you know, assure you every once in a while that I'm not just making this up, that this is actually in the roots of our Soto tradition. So I'm reading uh, recently, uh, rereading, uh, well, actually reading the first time, a new translation by the Soto Zen text project of uh, Master Keizan's Denkoroku, which is kind of the history, a little fantastic, uh, mostly historical, of our uh, Zen lineage. And Master Kazan uh, has a couple of beautiful sections that nicely express a lot of the counterintuitive uh, practice aspects of what we're doing here. And again, to explain this is not the hard part. A lot of this can be explained. It's called practice because you just can't understand this intellectually or listen to my explanation of it. you got to kind of realize this yourself. I'll give you another uh, example. If uh, you're looking, why, what is life all about and who am I? Okay. I will tell you that the morning star doesn't ask the question, why am I shining? It just shines and it's shining beautifully. And maybe your responsibility is to just live and live beautifully and shine. Lovely. And I can say that if you already have something, you're looking for it is the problem. I can say when you already have something, the best thing to do is just to stop the looking and just realize maybe on faith, maybe just by dropping the question that it's already you. The question looking for the thing is the problem. Like the famous koan of Hueke and Master Bodhidharma, Hueke uh, said to Bodhidharma, uh, my mind is troubled. I can't, where is my mind? Please appease my mind. And uh, Bodhidharma said, show me your mind and I'll do that. And Hueke said, I can't find my mind. Where's my mind? And uh, Bodhidharma said, you see, it's appeased. Now that's a strange koan unless you realize that the problem was is looking for this and to appease it is the problem. Just drop the search and there's your mind and drop the the feeling of lack and there's the peace. Well, this is old in our tradition. So Master Kazan has a couple of sections that I've posted recently. One is uh, Zazen of the Middle Way, beyond, beyond Hope to Attain. And I'll just read these sections and, of course, add uh, needless words to them. In your practice, he says at the beginning, you think there is need to attain Buddhahood. 
and a need to gain, to get to the way. And for the sake of this gaining the way, you think you should try to maintain things like dietary restrictions. You know, monks are not allowed to eat except one meal a day in India in the morning before noon. Chinese monks, by the way, kind of, it was cold. So they, in the evening, they eat a second meal, uh, but they don't call it food. They call it medicine to kind of keep within the rules. It's, uh, you know, we're not eating, we're, this is medicine. But the fact is they're, they're breaking the traditional rules because it's cold and they feel they need an extra meal. You think you should try to maintain dietary restraints in the practice of purity. You should sit zazen long without lying down, worship the Buddha and revolve sutras, and then and thereby pile up every kind of merit, like you're gaining points, you know. The more points, the closer you are to, to Buddhahood. It's like a, a game show, uh, Buddha Jeopardy. But all of this causes flowers to rain down in a sky that has no flowers. And otherwise, it's, you're just creating your own problems and issues, mirages. Even if you practice like that through kalpa ages as numerous as motes of dust, in other words, to endless eras of time, you still would have no share of liberation. Truly, when your mind has nothing that it hopes for, either here or there, this is called the way. Um, <clears throat> a couple of things here. Because you think Buddhahood is over there and you're trying to get there, it's over there. And uh, the more you think it's over there, it's not, it's always something distant. Um, the more you realize peace right here, peace is here. The more you think I'll be happy tomorrow, I'll be peaceful tomorrow, well, that's your doing. You're thinking that peace and happiness are over there behind that hill. Here, when you just stop the search for peace and uh, happiness and just learn to sit on the Zafu in this moment, being content just to sit and complete, there, as Bodhidharma said, there, I've cured you. So, uh, Master Kazan said, stop this, even monks have this goal-oriented, point-racking search. And when you drop the hope, in other words, the longing, you're satisfied. Now, one important point here, he's not also, he's not saying, on the other hand, to be careless either. You know, he's preaching the middle way here. He's saying, all right, you can eat a little more than I eat, he says a little later. I eat a little more than the Indian rules allow. But that doesn't mean to stuff yourself with the super-duper Big Mac triple at uh, McDonald's every day. And, uh, you know, it, all things in moderation. I'm a married man, okay? I'm breaking some of the traditional rules. Sex. I'm married. I have, you know. Okay. So, uh, with that in mind, though, I'm not, you know, going overboard, over there in moderation, too. All right? Japanese monks drink a little. I've been to Sotoshu events where the waiter comes out and brings the beer. And I've been at parties at, a at the Sojiji Temple for New Year's 
where, you know, every, the, the Roshi came over, the big abbot of the temple filled my sake cup. You know, a guy offers me sake. I got it. Japanese monks drink. This is not the traditional way in India. But again, don't be an alcoholic. Don't go to excess. I think it's a healthy, a healthy way. We're not deniers of the body, but we're not prisoners of the body either. That's why I listen to Chris and go to the gym, you see. Okay. Therefore, wanting to know satisfaction, where is satisfaction? Hello? Wanting to know satisfaction is the root of desire. Surely, even if you enjoy sitting for long periods, this entails the error of being obsessed with the body. This is why I'm telling you, Zazen is not a basketball game. We are not trying to make points. Okay? Guy comes to me and says, oh, I'm up to 40 minutes. I said, okay, good. Another guy says, I'm sitting five minutes. Okay, good. But are you both sitting beyond time and measure? Huh? This is not a taxi. There's not a meter on your Zafu. You sit every moment is perfect completion. How do I do that? Just sit with a faith in your heart that this moment is the morning star perfectly shining. Oh, but if I sit uh, five weeks uh, more, you know, solid and, and beat myself and uh, then I'll be enlightened. You'll still be the morning star shining. If you're going to beat yourself, I guess beat yourself like the morning star with nothing to gain. I don't know what to tell you, but just when you sit, every moment is perfect completion. And don't, don't beat yourself. We don't do that. We don't do that around here. That's, that's those the other religions. Actually, they do that in some Zen monasteries too. They hit you with a stick. We don't do that. No beating. Just sit and sit in completion. Okay? All right. If sitting for long periods is to be taken as the way, then at the time of birth, everyone has already been sitting for 10 months in the, in the womb, according to how the Japanese count, not nine months, 10 months they counted. So that must be the way. Why seek it a second time? Now notice he's not saying don't sit and he don't sit zazen. And he's not saying sit zazen for 10 months. He's saying sit every moment complete. Okay. Then it's real sitting. Disciples of the Buddha did in this way establish various rules of purity and made known the proper, proper conduct of Buddhas and ancestors. Nevertheless, if your clinging to them is one-sided, then they are sure to become, on the contrary, mental afflictions. You can be too much a monk. Monks can be attached to being monks. Don't be an obsessed monk. That's a kind of alcoholism, too, about, that's an incense-aholic. Okay? Middle way. Middle way. You think that by ad adhering rigidly to various practices of this sort, that in itself is seeking the way. This is an entirely mistaken understanding. Again, don't go the other way. Paul reminds me, you know, I, I, I thought of you again. He said, oh, yeah, incense, clean your incense. Yeah, I, and even though he, no one's here to see, I clean the incense. Take care. Be diligent. Don't neglect sitting. Don't be attached to sitting. Don't uh, 
how to say, keep your house clean. Don't let it be a mess. Don't be, what is it? Uh, oh, I see. What is it? You know, I got to wash my hands every five seconds. You know what I mean? Don't be obsessed. Compulsive, compulsive, obsessive disorder. That's it. Middle way. All right. Have, have sex. Don't have it every five minutes. And if you can have it every five minutes, I salute you. Anyway. Okay. No, that was a little joke. Just a joke. Don't, don't, you know, don't go overboard. All right. I woke up this morning. I thought I'm going to give this talk. I'm sleeping in a regular bed with a mattress, you know, a, a Western mattress. And you're not, that's even against the rules from India. I'm not supposed to sleep in a bed, you know, but I sleep in a bed. On the other hand, I don't sleep on a bed of nails and my bed is not, uh, you know, luxurious. It's just a bed. So middle way. All right. Furthermore, what Buddhahood do you see that could be attained? What living beings do you see that could be deluded? We think we're now deluded and we have to attain enlightenment. Okay. This is one of the counterintuitive things I tell you about. That's very important in our practice. See where this goes. Thus, there is not a single person who is a deluded person and not a single dharma that one could awaken to. Huh? There's no one who's deluded. There's no one, nothing to awaken to. For this reason, sayings to the effect that delusion is turned around and made into awakening or that the ordinary is turned around and made into the sagely, the enlightened, are entirely the words of unawakened people. Huh? Counterintuitive. The unawakened person thinks that the world is divided into pieces, good and bad, me and you, including unenlightened and enlightened. And they're looking for enlightenment, but they're still doing it in a way that cuts the world into pieces. I'm not enlightened. I think that's enlightenment over there under the hill back there. I'm not Buddha. Buddha's over there. Okay. When they drop all thought of the pieces, including the difference between unawakened and awakened, that wholeness, that just shining, that fills the whole universe, there it is. So, in other words, the counterintuitive is sitting thinking that there's enlightenment in Buddha we have to get to is what keeps you from realizing that it's right here and always has been all along. On the other hand, said Master Dogen, our practice is called moment by moment practice enlightenment. Now that you have realized that this is the wholeness, this is the whole thing right here and always has been all along because you've given up the search for it someplace distant, that doesn't mean that you can do whatever you want either. It's not an excuse to rob banks. It's not an excuse to uh, just uh, pillage and plunder. Because now we have to live like it 
and then it's here too. Okay? That's our practice of moment by moment continuing practice enlightenment. Buddhahood is not over there. It's right here when you just drop the question of where is it? Now that you've realized this, live gently. Live gently. Then you're just the morning star shining. And that light fills the whole universe. Like that. Something like that. Okay. Your own self, if your understanding is not at this true level, may be confused by the words of other people. Okay. This is, this is important. I, I like this section. So you're going to find that Jundo is one Buddhist teacher preaching one message of Soto Zen. I'm not sure that these days even all Soto Zen teachers are emphasizing this. Some are teaching very goal-oriented meditation. You got to reach, you know, deep samadhi states. We're going to talk about samadhi in a second. You got to get enlightenment experiences. The enlightenment experiences, by the way, bring you right back to the same thing we're talking about, that you're just, just all is whole. But anyway... And some people are saying you have to work for many lives. You're going to get to Buddha gradually. You know, you got to go through these stages. You'll get there. Okay. I'm not criticizing those people. I'm saying that there are many paths to right here. Okay. If I have a recipe for chicken soup and the other guy's got a recipe for chicken soup, there may be both good soup. I'm not saying no, but if you try to combine and, and say, which guy's right? I, I can't tell you. You can strive very hard and go through all those stages and realize what you want to realize. Or you can do it uh, Jundo's patented Soto way of just sitting and dropping the questions and resting right here in completeness. And you're going to get the same place because it's right here all along. You know? So anyway, that's what this is about. Don't let all these people talking about goals... This is Kazan's words, not mine. Don't let all these people talking about Kensho and goals and stages and, you know, this thing and that. Don't let them mess you up. So he says, so even if you ha have heard what is explained in the way I'm explaining and understood that there is nothing, till, uh, nothing to attain, Kazan's words, not mine, nothing to attain, still there may be a, quote, good friend, that means good friend along the way. That means a Buddhist teacher, good friend, who explains that there is a need to gain some dharma. Or perhaps a Buddha demon will come and say, uh, a, a well-meaning well guy, let's say, instead of a Buddha demon, a well-meaning Zen friend who comes along and says that there is some dharma that should be further cultivated do this practice or do that and realize this or realize that, okay? If that happens, the result will be that your mind and perceptions waver, and on the contrary, you will end up with inverted views. If you want to do what I. Kazan recommend is just listen to Jundo completely. He's right. He's a great guy. No, he didn't say that. I'm, that was a joke. Okay. Anyway. Kazan says, now you should accept the true instructions of the Buddhas, thoroughly investigate in detail, and by your own self, arrive at the level of ease and joy. Okay? So that is basically 
Kazan describing Shikantaza and why we do it. This, there's nothing to attain practice. I sit in completeness. And then I get up and live in this messed up world where we have goals and dirty dishes to do. Uh, I got to confess, during Kinhin, I went in. My wife asked me to unload the dishwasher. I unloaded the dishwasher. I, I had a goal. Okay. I had forgotten this morning. I unloaded it. Uh, I, by the way, you think that I, I talk all the time, have Zen washing the dishes. I do it sometimes as a practice, but we also have a dishwasher. I'm sorry, but, uh, uh, see, I'm breaking. They didn't have the Buddha did not have a dishwasher in India. I've got one, but I unloaded it with Zen mind. How's that? Okay. Very good. You take this off the cushion to a world where we have things to get done and projects to do and disappointments and some things that are very painful and getting sick and losing people we love. And in that you find the shining stars just shining. Sometimes it shines as losing people we love. Sometimes it shines as dirty dishes. Sometimes it shines as beautiful flowers. Sometimes it shines as this or that. But this world is always a shining star. No questions need be asked. No explanations need be given. The shining star need not justify itself. Just magnificent. Which leads us to samadhi. Now, samadhi, this is this other piece I posted about just yesterday. And it's a complicated essay I posted and long. But it basically makes a kind of simple point. Samadhi is prized in Buddhism and uh, with good reason. We sit sometimes focusing on the breath, perhaps. Uh, even uh, other techniques are useful. Um, I, I was reading a Rinzai teacher who had published a book recently that's filled with various techniques, do things with the eyes, and you'll get deep samadhi. It's very good stuff, okay? Soto people are not against samadhi. We've just got a kind of couple of weird quirks about samadhi, which I'm about to explain to you. People think samadhi is only sitting and attaining these very concentrated states. Maybe most of you have experienced it at one time where you're just man in the zone. Time is not a consideration. Maybe you're just feeling very peaceful and still maybe you are in bliss man mm, what a trip okay nothing wrong with it nothing wrong with it but it's not the point or should i say the only destination or the only thing to do it's not like when you're feeling that that is good zazen when i'm not feeling that Oh, I got to get back there. I got it. That's the point to get there. Because when I get there, I realize, oh, I feel the world. Peace. I feel it, man. Yeah, now everything is good. This is what Buddhahood and enlightenment must be. Not to Zen folks. To Zen folks, that's a face of it. This is all the star shining. This is all samadhi. It's samadhi when it feels peaceful. We don't run away from it, but neither do we cling to that peaceful in the zone. It's also samadhi when we're not in the zone, because as you'll see Kazan say, in the wholeness, it's so whole, what in or out? 
Okay. We also have a quirk here. We don't necessarily do many techniques to force ourselves to get these deep states. I'm going to tell you something with all the breath and eye things in that fellow's book, go to the dentist and have you write, write have him write you a script for a Valium or a couple. And yeah, man, I'll get you a peaceful place. But you know that's not a good peaceful place. Right? Just watch the documentary about the, what is it, this series with Michael Keaton, I think, about the opioid crisis in America. Yeah, that's not the way. Peace is not always a good thing, especially when it comes in a bottle and you start chasing after the bottle. But even in Zazen, if you think that peace is, the point of this is only when you're feeling that peace and what about the rest of life when I'm not? I remind you, as we're going to see here, we learn that the moon is always full and shining, even when it's a half moon or a quarter moon or what we call a moonless night or even on a stormy night, the moon is still boundlessly shining in the open sky. So don't think that, oh, the point of this practice is to always see the moon. Half moon is only half there. Moonless night or stormy night, I've lost it. There's no moon. No, the moon is always there. That doesn't mean when the moon is there, we look away. We love to see the moon. I love enjoying to see the moon. We've gone from the star now to the moon, I noticed. Right? I love the moon. But our practice is to recognize that it's all the moon shining, even when the moon is unseen. Isn't that weird? That's our samadhi that leaves nothing out. So it's called the no entering, no emerging samadhi. People think I get into samadhi. Samadhi emerges, that feeling, oh, there it is. It's, it's come. And then when it's over, it goes away and I leave samadhi. Like I'm leaving a room. No, this samadhi that has no inside or outside cannot be entered or left. Huh? Let me explain. True samadhi is not restricted to peaceful and pleasant moments of deep concentration, but rather is all moments and all reality. Each truly precious, each the moon shining, each the morning star shining. Not only the calm and pleasing. Wait a second, I thought if I did Buddhahood, I'm always going to be calm. I'm always going to be happy. I'm always going to be joyous. As the old country song goes, I beg your pardon. I never promised you a rose garden. You remember that old song? Right? But what I can give you is a joy to sometimes be joyful and a joy to sometimes be sad. How's that? It's called life and it's good. I can give you a peace and calm that accepts that life is not always peaceful. That I can give you. I doubt, I bet you Kazan and the Dogen and even the Buddha, I bet if we went back there, was at peace with not always being peaceful. His family was in a war and wiped out. Terrible. 
That's a great story. He said, I have a, he had a, a, oh, there's almost a story where they left it in there where he's almost having a nervous breakdown because he cannot keep his own Shakya clan from being wiped out in a war. He had bad days. But maybe somehow he saw the moon shining even in the blackest night like that. So, uh, Soto ancestors have criticized limited views of Samadhi as only peaceful and pleasant states, only times of deep concentration, only experiences to be entered and then departed from, only certain conditions that emerge and are attained, and only a matter of body and mind, you know, using the body and mind to get there. Don't try to use the body and mind to get there. Zen folks just sit, forget about any there to get to, and drop away even thought of body and mind and just sit in the wholeness, in the completion. True samadhi exists always and is not dependent on whether peace or bliss is experienced or not experienced, whether it can be attained or not, or can be lost, whether it never emerges or departs. It's like the waves on the sea come and go, but the sea is always there. The moon appears and disappears beyond the clouds, but the moon is always there, like that. So there's a, a story about one of our ancestors, and you'll see this. This fellow sitting and sitting and sitting, he's also an intense sitter, sits for three weeks, according to the story. Uh, maybe so. I, there may be intense uh, sitters. Uh, that can sit and sit and sit without food and drink, I guess, for three weeks. Put on the Depends diaper, I guess, and you're all set. Or whatever they do. Okay? I guess you get, you can, you can do that. Sam Ganandi was sitting peacefully and entered into Samadhi. The venerable Rahula Bhadra and his congregation waited for him. When three seven-day periods had passed, Sam Ganandi gradually arose from his Samadhi. The venerable Rahala Bhadra asked him, So uh, is your body in Samadra? In some, excuse me, is your body in Samadhi or is your mind in Samadhi? Samgandi said, Body and mind together are in Samadhi. The venerable Rahala Bhadra then said, Well, if body and mind together are truly in Samadhi, then how can there be emerging from it? or entering into it. Now, this is much longer in the essay I wrote. You can work your way through it. But uh, basically, uh, what he means here, Rahula Bhadra means that if body and mind are in the true samadhi of all reality as we really are, there is no body or mind that's separate from something to attain. There is no in or out. Uh, what's, a, what's a good model? I told you you can explain a lot. Let's say that there's that singularity they're always talking about that came before the Big Bang. Okay? If it's truly the sing singularity that's everything, there is no outside. Outside would be something else. You see? But if something is truly whole, if something is truly everything, then there's no something that it's not. So there is no outside. 
Outside would be something else, and therefore it would be incomplete. But we're talking about something that by our definition is so complete that there is nothing else. Therefore, it's no outside. There's no inside either, really, because inside is a comparison to outside, and there's nothing to compare it to because there's no outside. So if you have no outside, you can't even say there's an inside. It's just this. And you can't even say this because there's no that. That's not this. Kind of get where I'm going here? This is Eastern beliefs, okay? Um, so if there's no outside, you can't come in. Nor can you go out. There's no place to go. There's no place to come into from. You're there. Okay. So. It's not some state to enter or exit. The meaning of this somewhat puzzling exchange becomes clearer if we recall that in Zen wisdom, one does not truly come and go from reality even as we come and go in life. I, I told you, this can kind of be explained logically. It's not a matter of understanding it intellectually. It's kind of, kind of getting it in your bones and just feeling it. So again, the best explanation, the waves come and go. There's no wave. Suddenly a wave rises up. You're a wave, right? You're alive for a while. The wave disappears. Where did it go? But the wave is the sea all along. The sea's flowing. The sea didn't go anywhere. You're the sea. The wave is the sea. Therefore, we live in a world of coming and going, but there's also the aspect that doesn't come and go, and they're, they're the same two faces of the same faceless thing, like that. Okay? So, in Zen wisdom, one does not truly come and go. There is no birth and death from reality, even as we come and go in life. There is no entrance nor exit from wholeness, because they can't, it's whole, you can't, there's nothing else. There's no entrance nor exit from wholeness, even though we may enter or exit some concentration or other states. I may enter anger and then put anger down. I may enter feeling sad and put that down or feeling happy. We enter and exit states, including deep concentration, but it's all this wholeness that cannot be entered or ex exited. There are no starts or finishes in the timeless unbroken, even as time has starts and finishes. Nor does the whole, nor does the whole, because it is so whole, have an inside as opposed to an outside, nor some separate somethings called body and mind. So you feel like bodies and minds who are living in the universe. Who's feeling that? You are. Because that's the story you're telling yourself. Now, if you feel as the whole, it's not the separate pieces alone. The wave needs to realize it's the ocean flowing like that. Okay, so, and this is all necessary in practical terms. We need time, we need, you know, coming and going, we need goals, we need body and mind, and I think I'm you, me, and you are you, okay? But I'm telling you, just in our Buddhist practice, we realize that's not the only way to experience things. Last sentence, the wholeness of reality is all of this, all true at once. Thus, true samadhi sweeps in all of these seemingly incongruous views. Again, there's nothing wrong with feeling and attaining in 
the zazen, these moments of deep, profound peace when everything is sweeping and whole and la la land. Great for you. Good. But don't cling there any more than you cling to candy just because it tastes good. Enjoy your candy and then eat your spinach. Get on with the rest of life. It's all samadhi. It's all the meal. It's all the star shining. I think I've babbled on long enough. Kind of made my point. Um, please close the sutra. Thank you for joining us for the Tree Leaf Zendo podcast. Tree Leaf is an online practice place for people who cannot easily attend a Zen center due to health, location, work, childcare, or family needs. We provide netcast zazen, retreats, discussion, jukai, the support of fellow practitioners, interaction with a teacher, and all other activities of a Zen Buddhist Sangha, all fully online, accessible anytime, anywhere, without charge. Come build the future of online Zen community and practice.